Welcome to the Marketing for Startups podcast. If you're trying to figure out marketing for your startup, then you're in the right place. In this podcast, we go high level, looking at the intersection of branding, data, and leadership to offer you a marketing playbook to grow and scale. Join me each week for in-depth interviews, tactical advice, and practical trainings. Hi, I'm your host, Victoria Hajar, veteran marketer and startup enthusiast. I promise to bring my experience and curiosity to each episode Then together, we'll peel back the onion on this ever-changing discipline that is marketing. I'm so happy you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, founders. Welcome to the Marketing for Startups podcast. This week, we have an amazing interview. I'm interviewing Ray Wong, who is top technology analyst, one of the top in the world, and founder and chairman and principal analyst of Silicon Valley-based Constellation Research. So our conversation is all about data and why it is important for your business and the future of business in general, right? How the economy is going to change based on the quality of data, AI, all of this beautiful technology that is just rolling out, Web3, we talk about all of it. So if you're a founder that is developing anything in the tech space, this episode is a must. But I would also encourage you to to really tune in, even if you have a product or service that has nothing to do with tech. I really encourage you to listen because really understanding the importance of data and how to gather useful data in your business is really going to um, help you grow and thrive in the future. It is just the reality that we live in. So to tell you a little bit more about Ray, so he co-hosts Disrupt TV, which is a weekly enterprise tech and leadership webcast that averages over 50K views per episode. And he authors a business strategy and technology blog that receives millions of page views per month. So I mean, if you're going to ask anyone questions about the future of data, Ray is your guy. He also serves as non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's Geotech Center. He's spoken at almost every major tech conference Uh, probably in the world. And that's actually where I first met him at a keynote um, here in Miami for CIOs. And his, his keynote was so dynamic, I can, I can understand why he is such a well uh, sought after speaker. Um, And he's been interviewed on all of the media outlets, Wall Street Journal, Fox Business, CNBC, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg, TechCrunch, Forbes, Fortune, everything. But Today, we're sort of anchored our interview talking about his latest book, which is called Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And in it, he offers founders and business leaders a groundbreaking new guide that shows you how to adapt your business to thrive among digital giants, including Facebook, Google, Apple, Amazon, right? I do want to give the audience a little bit of context because in this interview and in the book, we talk about data-driven digital networks, which is a business model that's built around data, right? Analyzing data to create new products, enhance customer experience, et cetera. So if we refer to DDDN in the interview, we're talking about uh, data-driven digital networks. So keep listening to learn about what those are exactly, and how they apply to your business. Right. I'm so excited to chat with you. First of all, I've been loving Disrupt TV, and I love the book. I want you to just introduce yourself a little bit and just talk a little bit about how you became interested 
in researching data-driven digital networks and sort of and and your interest in how that's future the uh, uh, sorry shaping the future of the economy and of business. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, so I, I'm Ray Wong with Constellation Research, and uh, one of the areas that we've been spending a lot of time looking at was really this notion of marketplaces and data-driven digital networks. These are the hundred-year platforms that basically power the future of almost every single organization. Think of it as kind of the brains of an organization. It's kind of the, it's like the graph, it's the understanding, um, but it's also all the connection points. And, and when you think about a digital world, um, the value of digital organizations is really the insight, right? The insight insight, the information that's been captured over time, the insights that you can actually do, the way you can create prediction models, the way you can actually identify opportunities to reduce risk and prevent things uh, from badly happening. Um, but that, that's actually what's happening. So, so these organizations that are in the digital world, they we all started out with, cool, we got a digital channel. All right, that, that's great. Then we started thinking about, oh, we have a digital business model. What does that mean? How do we make money? And then we started looking at digital monetization models. And then the next level of that is really when people get to these data-driven digital networks, which is really these platforms that allow companies to be successful. Well, and I, I think like as a, I mean, as a marketer, I feel like hearing you speak about this first time on stage was so like mind-blowing because I think a lot of founders are thinking about data in terms of making their marketing more effective, right? But what you really put into place, and of course, like you're speaking about duopolies and you're speaking very high level, but there's such a great message for startups and small organizations. It's like, how can you really utilize data to get ahead of your competition? Because if all the competition is just worrying about how effective their ads are, what you do is you like open up this whole world on how data can contribute to like product development and sort of like opening new revenue streams, which I love. But what I'd love to talk about is sort of, let's talk about how businesses are done. So one of the first like moments for me in the book was when you're talking about the hierarchy of needs for business and sort of like the antiquated way of sort of constructing business and what people are focusing on. And then we look at like sort of like this new kind of tech age, right? So I want you to talk a little bit of the hierarchy needs of business, but then I was interested in, you know, with the DDDNs, right? How is that different at all? Like, are we still, is, is brand still kind of the base of it with the digital networks or not? So speak on that a little bit. No, great point, right? I mean, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? There's a business version of it, but the the regular version is like, hey, keep me safe, keep me sheltered, you know, protect yourself, and then always up to your ego and self actualization. Um, well, right. the business version is kind of the same. At the very bottom of the pyramid is this thing we call regulatory compliance, right? Don't get me killed. <laughs> Don't put anyone into jail. Make sure everyone's safe. No one gets sued, right? It's, it's really about making sure that um, the basics and the rules are being followed. And you put most of your resources there. You put your best people there, right? Because that's just how things are allocated. The next level is, is basically operational efficiency. And that's for every dollar you invest, you might put get two or three back, right? How do we save costs? How do we become more efficient, right? And you know, how do we run a campaign with better ROI? That's kind of what you do with operational efficiency. But the level above that starts to talk about growth and that's revenue and growth. If I make this investment, can I get a two or three X return in the future? Can I double my money? Can I actually drive top line margin? 
cool. We get that. And then one level above that is an area we call strategic differentiation. And in strategic differentiation, it's about new business models, right? So how do we actually build a new business model in an existing company? Now, unfortunately, as we get up the pyramid, you're not putting more people there. You're not putting more of your resources there. And it starts getting thin. And at the very, very top of that is brand, right? People do a brand review and then 10 years later they forget about it and they try to refresh it again and and that's just kind of how it is new ceo comes right they change the logo they change the colors fine we've seen that playbook all right but there's a little bit more to this right but this is what we call the business hierarchy of needs now once you have that in place you realize that your best people are actually not working on the more important things in fact they're just trying to keep the lights on and so one of the things that we tell people to do is you have to flip the pyramid and when you flip the pyramid Brand becomes the most important thing. You're thinking about what's your mission? What's your purpose? Why do you exist, right? And, and what can we do every day to support that mission and purpose? Then the next level will be, what, what do we do with business models? How do we grow? How do we build out new, uh, like new items? How do we think about new markets? And then, of course, we look at revenue growth. Now, all that stuff you're doing in operational efficiency and in regulatory compliance, I want you to outsource that. I want you to put that into software. I want you to automate that because yeah. you want your best people focused on all the stuff that's more valuable. And, and if you can do that, that's how you succeed. And that's how you break out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that reminded me so much of like Uber and Airbnb, right? Like if they spent their time on worrying about compliance and, and sort of, you see, there's a, a long, a lot of places around the world where Airbnb is having so much trouble. Miami is actually one of them, but it's sort of like, they've already grown so enormous and they have captured market so much success is they sort of consciously said, well, we're going to build the thing and then we'll forget, right? We're like building and figure later. So I think that that is, is such an important thing to realize in a lot of ways that founders are working now is exactly in that way, right? We're, I think that it's, it's generally recognized that brand and sort of differentiation is the, is the most important thing um, for startups nowadays, but if we're looking at like specifically in the, in the eyes of making this data-driven digital network business model, right? We're sort of building this out. It, is the rule book the same? Is it still all about brand and, and differentiation or is it about more about what? Like data precision? That's a great question. And, and I actually think brand still drives everything right? Especially yeah. when you think about marketing and, and when brand drives everything, then your data-driven digital network, your DDDNs are going to look very different, right? In terms of what you capture, how you capture things, right? So for example, if you're a high, you're a high, high known, high touch, low, low volume brand, right? You're going to operate very differently in that digital environment than if you're like a high volume, super efficient, low cost brand, right? You'll do different things, right? You're going to have less places where you insert a human in the process. There are going to be less places where you give customers choice, right? And so, so you'll vary those accordingly. Mm. Well, let's talk about that, though, about how DDNN, DDDNs will kind of change the future of the economy, because you you paint a little bit of a like a, a, a little bit of a scary picture of what that could turn into. Right. With this sort of like 100 percent commoditized businesses, because they're so efficient and they're so sort of data informed that that human touch like completely disappear. So paint for us that picture of what, what the future could look like as, you know, as this kind of grows, as these DDN, DDDNs grow, um, and sort of how we can sort of stop that. 
So as we capture more and more information and insights into these systems, what's actually happening is they're learning from you, right? I mean, take the smart speaker analogy. If you've got a smart speaker at home, you know, it listens in, right? It knows when you're home. Like at, at some point in time, the smart speaker knows that you're out of the house between nine and three, right? You're back in the house between three and seven. There are different people in the house at three and seven than they were um, at like nine in the morning. And then more importantly, as it goes throughout the day, like there's different sounds, there's different voices. They can know who's in, who's when, like when are lights turned on, when are the TVs turned on, when you order things, what information you search, all that information is being captured, right? And as you start capturing that information, it's being used to offer different sets of services. So for example, maybe you forgot to close the door, right? And you know the system comes in and says, hey, look, would you like to close your door? Did you set the alarm, right? Maybe your alarm service is tied back there and they know. And so they automatically set it for you, right? And so we're going to get to this progression where we start out by you know telling people what's happening. We then get to some point where notifications actually happen. We get to some point where suggestions are made. Would you like to shut down your, would you like to set the alarm in your house? Or it becomes automated because it's known it's after 10 p.m. Either way, they forgot. We should just set the alarm in your home, right? So, so little things like this are going to pop up. And these are what we call ambient experiences. And so these ambient experiences in the back end are what the data-driven digital networks power. These DDDNs know what to do for the next best action. They know how to make a suggestion. It's not in your face. And then what yeah. you choose builds back the feedback loop. Right. I mean, and so in a digital world, every choice you make is basically an A-B test. You know what context they're in, right? You know why they made the decision or you can actually interpret why they make decisions and you can start finding the patterns over time. Mm -hmm. so, so what time of day was it? What location? Uh, what was their heart rate? Um, what was the weather like outside when this happened? Yeah. Right. And, and that's all being tracked. Now, if you want to stop this tracking and protect your privacy, then the question is, you have to ask, what is the value exchange for your data worth, mm -hmm. right? Is the convenience of them, the being monitored, being, you know, a pattern, you know, running pattern models to see what you're going to do next, is that worth it, right? Or would you rely on not have that service and just completely shut these systems off? In any case, no matter what you choose, it should still be your choice at the end of the day. But do you see this as something that is going to be like, with this this data, right, and with this sort of ambient, these ambient dis experiences and all of that, do you see them creating jobs? Or do you see this contributing to a replacement of jobs? I think they are creating jobs because you're getting services and offerings you never would have had before. Um, and I think that, you know, while some jobs will definitely go away, we're also creating new jobs. I'm not sure what the rate is. I'm not sure if we're creating more jobs for the, you know, to replace the jobs that we're replacing, right? Or if we're actually at a steady state. But one example is, you know, someone that's actually studying the data of these interactions, that person didn't exist before, right? They're looking for patterns or applying the human touch over time to say, let's try this hypothesis, right? Let's run this test. Let's run a different campaign. Let's see what the results are. And because we can do it at scale, we can run more of those programs and campaigns. So you might still have the same person who is doing manual campaigns, now running automated campaigns and actually running them at 100x scale. So that's an example where you probably keep that job. Mm. Well, and it's so funny because after your, your keynote and reading your book, it's like you can't look at almost any business in the same way, right? I have my like, you know, I have my tracker and, and now I say, well, it's just like a simple device, but you start to open up all of the possibilities, the partnerships, the services, everything that the data from my heart rate and my exercise schedule can give to other businesses. And in and, and so many ways that, that companies that we interact with are gathering that. 
I think that there has been this, especially just for the typical founder, you know, that's just so heads down on, again, like using data to perfect their marketing. It's not, it's not sort of, when you focus on the data on that 360 level, so much opens up. So that's why I wanted to talk about, and I, I was hoping that you would walk us through because this was so impactful, the, the toaster example, because we're sort of right on this topic of how that how data is really opening it up. Because we can say, yeah, we have the smart speaker and this and that, but walk us through the toaster. <laughs> the toaster is a fun example. The toaster. <laughs> the toaster is a fun example. And part of the reason is like, I always ask people this question is, do you fill out the warranty card for your toaster? Right. And most people don't, right. I mean, it's like $40 device. You're probably not going to fill out the warranty card. You might not even fill out the warranty card for a thousand dollar TV. Right. That's just, yeah. that's just how people are. And so the challenge is, can you imagine what the first phone call is like to the customer service team for the toaster manufacturer? It's, it's abysmal, right? One, you have no idea who the customer is. Two, the customer is usually pretty upset or angry. And three, you don't even know if it's their, your customer, right? So, because it was sold through a retail outlet. Like, how do you know? Like, they're calling the right number or it's even the right toaster. And so this happens all the time. Now, the problem with the toaster is, is probably it's a $40 toaster with a $10 margin at best, right? Yeah. You're in a contact center for half an hour. You chewed up half your margin on the freaking call. So, yeah. so now, you're, now you're wondering, okay, how can we change the equation? And so one way to change that is to encourage people to actually register toasters upon purchase. And you could actually yeah. make it very, very simple. Here's a QR code. Here's the serial number. Make those easily available. Tie these together so that you can actually do an online registration. Now, the reason I want to encourage you to do the online registration is I might say, look, if you sign up for the toaster, 90 days before the toaster is about to die, I can actually set it up in a way that you could actually buy the same toaster if you want. And this could be like 10 years from now, it could be 15 years from now, but just let us monitor the toaster to see what's going on. And we'll be able to give you that information about how the toaster's health, right? We'll trade you toaster health um, for your information. Now, I don't want your contact information in the traditional sense. You can give me like a dummy email that works, or you can give me like, you know, another phone number. I just want to be able to like monitor the toaster and understand what features are being used, what features aren't being used, how often the toaster is being used and what's going to happen. And, and that gets you some very interesting data, right? And over time, because as you start tracking, you can figure out what component manufacturers are lying, which features are working, which features aren't working, and you can do a lot more. And so the basic first step is we do customer experience monitoring and get that in place. But then we actually start seeing some other things that are interesting with the performance of the toaster. Um, you know, I mean, a, a good question is, you know, Victoria, like, is... You know, why do toasters in, you know, Miami probably break down more than toasters in Denver, right? Any guests? Right? <laughs> um, it's humidity, right? Ah, it's humidity. It plays a big role, right? Why, why do toasters in New York break more than toasters in, you know, um, in Austin, Texas, right? Now it's not the New Yorkers. <laughs> so, but it could be. Is it the bagels? People stuffing bagels in the dust? <laughs> it's people stuffing bagels, right? And so the bagels are like are the cause of some of this challenge, right? And say, so, okay, great. So the bagels are jamming the toasters and they break more. So we get some interesting stats. So now we have the ability to figure out, hey, what, what product, you know, what should we do better to redesign a product? What can we do there? But then we can even take this up a level and I can say, look, now that we have all this underwriting data, we understand like why toasters are breaking, what toasters do better in different regions and what features are being used. I'm going to make you an offer. You can have that toaster for 50 cents a month, right? For the next six years, right? Mm -hmm. So that's 60 months, you know, it's about 30 bucks for the toaster. We'll give you toast 
as a service. Right? Mm-hmm. And we'll monitor the toaster. We'll give you warning. You can subscribe to it. Ever breaks 48 hours later, we'll send you a brand new toaster. Um, you know, but you know, we'll, we'll keep that toaster in hand for you. Right. And you can, and then suddenly we're going direct to consumer, right? We don't need retailers anymore. The first purchase means I'm going to actually start selling you other devices. Would you like to buy the next toaster? Would you like to buy something else? And so we now have got cross sell into play. And now you actually have all these different business models just built on data, um, monitoring the toaster and the toaster performance, right? And it starts with that, right? If you're a small business, right, you have to capture that information and insight. One of the most interesting things was in the middle of the pandemic, customers were giving away their best customers, like restaurants and stores and small businesses said, we can't do delivery. So we're going to call these delivery app services and they're going to deliver customers to our customers. What happened? They gave up their data. They gave up their customers. These delivery app companies not only got the customer information, they got the credit card information and they got all the transactions. So suddenly all these small businesses with hundreds and thousands of customers gave their businesses away to these large aggregators, the food delivery app companies, who now have tens and hundreds of millions of customers. That's what you have to protect against. And that's why data is so important. Exactly. And this is where I love, and again, I think like we all knew this instinctively, but you going through the example of Toys R Us and Amazon on in the book was so, so interesting because it just so illustrates what happens when you give away or the value of that, who owns the customer experience, right? This is what you talk about a lot. Who owns the customer experience? Because we tend to, we tend to build our businesses sort of in a silo and we're not prepared for the digital age. And it's beautiful how many examples of these big organizations that you that you do share in the book that 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 gave away that customer experience because they could not they could not develop at the pace to keep up right so it's like if you're not going to create an, an Amazon yourself so let's just give it to Amazon right um, but what do you think can be done like would you warn companies against so let's talk about that restaurant let's talk about that restaurant that was thriving and in that moment it's like do we expect for the restaurant to build that system out themselves? Like, is it really worth it for them to, to put the investment there? Like, how can those smaller businesses survive? We have to talk about the no startups and different partnerships that you can. It doesn't make sense for a small business to recreate that infrastructure for delivery. Otherwise, they would have done it before, especially when delivery companies are allowed to lose hundreds of millions of dollars a year. You can't compete with that. So, yeah. so I need new types of alignment. You know, we, we use off our conversations talking about Domino's Pizza, right? And if you think about Domino's delivery network, there are 17 different ways for a pizza, right? They can track the pizza from every step of the process. It's digitized. You know, your pizza is like 30 minutes away or in the oven, you know, your pizza is 10 minutes away. You know, your pizza is five minutes away and they have that capability. But Domino's also got crushed by the food delivery app companies, right? Because you order pizza, what, maybe once a month, once a week at most, right? And, and most people order from food delivery app companies once a week, maybe multiple times a day, right? So, I mean, that, that's a very different set of volume. And so imagine if Domino's suddenly said, look, we're going to do delivered by Domino's 
You can be any small business in the world, and we will let you use not only our app structure to do ordering and payments, and we'll also actually tap into our delivery network. So our drivers who are not actually driving, delivering pizzas at some points can also deliver your goods and services, and we'll balance that out. And that's one way to actually create that partnership. You know, not Domino's, if you're listening, you could go do that. It'd be pretty cool. But the point being is like, Domino's could actually be seen then as the savior of small businesses, right? Smaller restaurants, smaller shops. And of course, maybe the only place they won't actually have an overlap is other pizza delivery companies. So they're not going to do pizza for anyone else. But for all these other small businesses that want to do that, like the local bakery, you know, the local like, you know, restaurant that's out there, the local wine shop. I mean, you want to get all that in play. Mm. And it's such a good strategy because, you know, from the marketing side, referrals, partnerships, things like that are such a good lead gen source, right? Because there's that like, no trust factor. So encouraging startups or smaller businesses to form these coalitions themselves, sort of power in numbers are the ways that you can do that very important thing of protecting your data, right? Because without that data and giving it away, then you're actually, you're really limiting your growth. You're really limiting your growth. Yeah. You're digging yourself a hole. And and not only that, you're giving the person the shovel to go dig yourself a hole. I mean, it is brutal. You do not want to be in that position. And so what you want to do is create these alliances, these, you know, what we call joint venture startups that allow you to do these. These are coalitions that go out there to actually then take that aggregate information and hopefully give that data back to you so that you can use it and analyze what's going on, right? Um, for example, you might suddenly discover that, you know, your delivery windows were very different than what you thought they were. You probably thought you were kind of a five to 7 p.m. delivery window, but it turns out it's actually not that. It's only six to nine, and that's only like every other Wednesday. And why is that, right? And you can start asking those questions and you realize that, oh, every other Wednesday, right, there are these large organizations that get together and do like retreats or have events in conference centers. And that's actually why you're actually, your delivery business is actually very different because they're ordering from you for that event. Right. And you want to start finding all these types of patterns, right? Because that'll help you optimize your business. Because what that means is you're going to staff your organization differently because of that. You know, you're going to actually add more cooks. You're going to add more drivers. You're going to add more people. You're going to take away some of your like dining staff because no one's in the dining room, but everyone's actually doing delivery. Okay. How do we balance that out again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I love that. And I think, again, this idea of focusing on the consumer behavior, actually the user behavior, rather ju- than just the acquisition de- data, right? It's like exactly. once you have in your world, you know, you have these repeat customers and understanding and analyzing their behavior is going to give you the competitive advantage. Because that was one of my questions. It's sort of like, you know, given the data that is available to the common founder, right? where should they be putting their investment, right? They're going to be investing in data because data, I think for a lot of, a lot of founders can feel very overwhelming, right? And it's sort of like, how precise is the data? How we have a lot of data, how how do we make it more useful? So where are some of like the key places people can invest in their data to make it more useful for them? Yeah. I mean, start capturing everything, right? You know, look at a business process, think about the outcomes that are important to you and start capturing that data in every part of the interaction, right? You, you, you want to digitize as much as you can on that collection. You want to make it self-service and automate it as much as you can. And then more importantly, then you can actually start running different models to understand where the patterns are. Right. I mean, there's simple patterns. We know there's frequency patterns we look at, but we might actually get some interesting behavioral patterns, right. That you might've seen before. 
um, on rainy days, we get less customers. Oh, didn't even know that, right? On game days, but the local school next by, like we get tens of more customers, right? We can actually predict what it's going to look like based on traffic patterns, right? So if you look at traffic patterns on the roads during the morning, um, it could impact what you see in the evening, right? And and that's that's the kind of stuff people are starting to use. It's finding those new inputs and signals uh, to build that capability. And so if you want to get started, start by asking the right business questions, things that you always wanted to know, and then figure out where the data is, right? And and you might find out that more than two thirds of the time, that data is not sitting inside your four walls. That data is outside somewhere else, right? You're getting a feed for weather. You're getting a social media review feed from, you know, Yelp or something like open table. And you're like, wait, none of this data is mine, right? Like how do we aggregate it and then make it useful? Yeah, I think that's so, so interesting. And I think the other thing to note is there are so many ways to get data nowadays. Like there's so many startups that are, are, are vehicles for finding this kind of data and aggregating it, just like you said, into dashboards that are really useful. Because I think it's one thing to just have the data. It's sort of how do you oper, uh, operationalize it by, by, you know, putting it into a way that's digestible that you can make this business decisions on. Um, let's talk a little bit about AI and, and the role of AI in all of this, because you talk a lot about the importance of decision velocity. I think that that's important for startups, for big organizations, right? So, and I think that now more than ever, AI is really accessible to the average person. Like there's a lot of, you know, a lot of great startups now, like a lot of SaaS companies that are implementing AI. So, what do you see, how do you see AI kind of progressing in supporting, you know, DDDNs and like growing DDDNs or supporting businesses in general with their data? I think the first part is the decision velocity. That's a great point. You and I make a decision, it's done in a split second, um, but it could take us forever to get a decision out the door. We're dependent on a whole bunch of things and factors. Uh, if you can actually improve the speed of decision-making inside your organization through analytics, automation, and AI, you can achieve what we call decision velocity because machines make decisions 100 times per second, even 1,000 times per second, and they're not seeking approval unless just between small organizations and larger organizations that are competing. Now, for AI to work, though, for smaller organizations, you really have to pull data. This is why it was so important as joint venture startups set up these different coalitions because for AI to work, you need a certain amount of data to know that it's precise, it's moving in the right direction. Like, would you be okay knowing it was 61% accurate? Probably not, right? You know, would you be okay if it's being 95% accurate? Maybe you'd feel a bit more comfortable, right? And so we have to do other things to augment the data, but what you're really trying to do is grab that information from outside. Now, once you have that in place with the data and in terms of what you're trying to build out, right, it's really about what questions do you want to ask, right? Those business questions are really important. Do I want to add 10 more people in marketing or do I spend a million dollars on a campaign? Um, do I invest in, you know, back to your point, do I invest in a data strategy that's long-term and spend you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to do that, to grab information in the insights or can I sweat out three or more years? If you build software by it, you can't answer the question, but you get the idea. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. here's what you want to be able to do is um, go out and, and make those types of decisions and tough decisions in many cases, right? And then over time, these systems are learning based on the decisions you made. And that's where we get to this level of automation. And then at some point, hopefully you get to some level of AI that works. And and so also, of course, building the AI is, is, is influential in what you were talking about previously, right? Be able to have those automated actions that service the client as well. 
um, which also can open new revenue streams, this, that, and the other. Um, let's talk a little bit, because you touched on it, about short-term and long-term goals, right? Short-term and long-term thinking in terms of data, right? Because oftentimes, especially with, um, you know, especially facing investors, there's a, a huge, uh, I guess, battle or not battle, but pressure against this idea of having these short-term revenue goals being met and this short-term growth being met. But then there's also sort of in contra, like against that is the idea of the quantity of data that's needed to make smart decisions, sort of the velocity, right? Having this sort of decision velocity based on the data, but it takes time to gather that data, right? Um, so how would you advise a, a startup that really wants to think long-term and, and, and sort of building out this DDDN portion of their business and how in whatever way with sort of satisfying, especially founders that are fundraising, right? Sort of trying to balance those two things, the traction, the growth versus the long-term thinking. Yeah. I mean, the, the hard part is making that commitment to go out and, 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 and what I'd say is, is make the investment to capture that data, right? Because it does take time to set it up to be proper so that you can get it up and running, right? But once you have it there, it's, it's a lot easier because you now have the ability to say, okay, I can leverage the information I collect. And so you have to start saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm we're going to be a digital business. We have got to actually capture data. Data is the foundation of all these digital businesses. And once you have that in place, I think people, you feel most people are a little bit more comfortable, right? Trying to figure out, hey, how do we actually use that information, get that insight? But part of that is you've got to build those motions. You've got to build those reflexes in terms of asking those questions and, and trying to like hunt for the data, hunt for the questions, right? Hunt for like information sources you don't have, right? Are we getting the feed data for weather? Are we getting the Yelp review data? Are we getting you know, um, information and insights on social media about, you know, uh, you know, what, what the Insta folks say, right? And, and so, right, are we hearing things from, and this doesn't always happen, but are we hearing things from, you know, Discord and, you know, TikTok and where does that come into play? And so we've got to aggregate that information. And so that's the hard part, setting up that infrastructure, doing it, right? And actually making the investments upfront. But once you get past that, the returns are amazing, right? I mean, the ability to use that insight to change the business or, you know, move, you know, do course correction before you need to do course correction, right? Or figure out when you should do course correction and time it perfectly. All those things come with that data and that information. And that's why you've got to make that easy to do, right? Especially the entering of data. Nobody likes to enter data. Can we collect that information? Um, and if you can push out as much to self-service for customers or partners to do that data entry, that's even better. If you can do it automated where you actually don't even need to put that in place, like for example, put it into a set of smart contracts, then you actually have a very, you have a tremendous opportunity to actually succeed on your data strategy. Mm. And how about, so it sounds like for, for, facing investors like on this topic, just as, as I think there's a lot of attention paid to like, you know, the growth, the growth stats and sort of trying to prove traction, right? In, in, in parallel with that, building out or showcasing this infrastructure, right? With the basis of asking those right business questions, right? Building this infrastructure for the data to be constantly sort of um, gathering and supporting those decisions, sort of showcasing that to investors to sort of um, give an example of how you're using data to think in a long-term way while sort of growing in that short-term as well. So do you feel like that that investor, sort of the Silicon Valley investors are 
are thinking in this way are open to that sort of sacrificing the short-term growth for for this long-term thinking of digital you know data-driven digital networks because they know the unicorn producers now right sometimes they know that um and they're willing to (laughs) you know get to a certain level before you know let's make it um, and that is costly. A lot of people have had to do that, right? They made it big and now they got to redo everything. And, and that's part of the growth, right? Because most people deliver new viable offerings and you know that wasn't part of the design. But the newer startups know that and they're building for data. They're designing for data. And so we're not seeing as much of that as an issue. It's, I'd say startups that were created five to seven years ago, they might not have that data. Newer startups are actually doing something with data a bit more interesting is they're moving it to more permission-based, right? They're actually asking customers. They're actually giving customers the notion of what's the value exchange for my data? Does it make sense, right? And, and, and they're designing for that in the beginning. And they're also building some really good gamification and you know, influence models to actually get people to share more, to use more, engage more, interact more, to actually power, their, power the AI and ML testing capabilities. Yeah. Um, and I think what's super interesting just in the, the cusp of Web3 and sort of all of the changes that are happening in the way that we communicate online and how digital marketing and digital business is done, um, that every business should be prepared for um, receiving, analyzing, setting up for their own data, right? You know, very soon is going to be the days where we've given all of our data away to Facebook and Instagram and all of those things, right? It's that we, we're going to have more ways to facilitate gathering our own proprietary data, right? That's going to be a huge asset. It's going to be our biggest asset because now we have, you know, we have different things like email lists and things like that. But um, when that starts moving away from the platforms into our own hands, you know, it is really worthwhile to be thinking, you know, how can we best utilize all of this, right? Investors that are doing valuations are going to make sure data is a huge component of that valuation, right? How valuable is that data? How can that data be used to actually generate new products and revenue streams, right? What can that data do to actually, you know, mitigate risk? I think those are the questions everyone's going to be asking. And so expect the data strategy to be a big component of your valuation because it's the brains of the organization. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ray, thank you so much. This was so interesting. And of course, anyone going to investors should, should send them a copy of your book, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, which um, is, is, of course, everyone should get it. But tell us where you hang out, where everyone can learn more about you um, and, and learn from you. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, uh, our research firm, Constellation Research, you can go to their website, constellationr.com. Um, there's a lot of interesting research on, in so many different topics. Um, we do have a person that leads our marketing coverage, Liz Miller, and she's our CMO whisperer. So definitely someone to talk about, uh, talk to and, uh, and reach out to. And then, of course, yeah, I mean, um, every Friday we do Disrupt TV. And that's kind of a fun show I do with my friend Vala Afshar. And we interview all these different individuals, anything from startup CAOs, CEOs to like enterprise CXOs to authors, leaders. Uh, we have some interesting world leaders that have been on as well. Um, and that's that's a fun kind of conversation. It's kind of our give every Friday um, where we actually go out and share that information, insight and interview three guests, uh, three to five guests and uh, have their insights out there. So, but yeah. And then, uh, yeah, you can usually find me on Twitter uh, at the RWAMG0 and you can usually track where I am. <laughs> at any point in time and uh All yeah just tweet world. out just tweet out and say hi so and how about and i know you 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 have a big conference in october as well 
Do you oh, yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah, every year we bring together 200 to 250 CXOs to Half Moon Bay. It's our customer conference and uh, yeah. it's an innovation summit. And day one is all about cool new tech. Day two is really about business processes and industries. And the half day on day three is really a leadership day, helping people grow and, and really discover themselves. That's very cool. Well, we'll link all of that information in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so excited to have, have chatted with you. And I think that the work that you're doing is so important for every founder to understand, right? Even if you don't feel like it's completely connected to your business model at the present moment, there's no denying that how you get gather, use, and analyze data is just, if you want your business to stand a chance in the future, you need to up your game, right? Everyone does. Yep. Yep. And more importantly, how to compete with the digital giants and win. So. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Ray. I really, really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. Thanks for sticking around with me and listening all the way to the end. I really appreciate you as an audience member, and I hope that you found this helpful. If you did like this episode, it would mean so, so much to me if you subscribed, if you rate and review this podcast. It helps other people know that this podcast has something worth saying. Also, it'd be super awesome if you could take a screenshot and share on Instagram and tag me at Ugly Ventures, U-G-L-I Ventures, V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S. I am always so appreciative to hear from you, and I hope to see you back here next week on the Marketing for Startups podcast.